Welcome to the Super Abundant Life Podcast. I'm your host, Olaomi Brigway, a transformational life coach and the creator of Super Abundant Woman, where we are teaching and equipping women who have a burning desire for significance to create an exceptionally successful and fulfilling life without burnout or stress. In the not too distant past, I myself was trapped in an agonizing cycle of failure and shame with my mind constantly dominated by negative emotions. But my life was dramatically transformed beyond my wildest dreams when I began to live by the power and the wisdom of God's word. My mission is to teach others to experience the same. On the Super Abundant Life podcast, we have only one goal teach and empower Christians to take full advantage of their rights and privileges in Christ so they can build exceptionally successful lives. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here. This is Olaomi Brigway and welcome to episode 124 of the Super Abundant Life podcast. Today in this episode, I'm going to be talking about how to get the most out of your Bible study, of studying the Bible. If you watched episode 103, then you will know that I taught on how to actually build a vibrant early morning prayer habit and I walked you through step by step to be able to do that. If you haven't listened or watched that episode Go back and do that because it will really help you. Now, you can't talk about prayer and not talk about the word because the word literally is the foundation and the basis for effective prayer. And that is one of the reasons why people say, but I've been praying and I've been praying and I've been praying and there are no results. So I'm following up that episode with how to get into the word of God, how to get into the Bible and how to wield your authority as a son of the most high God using the word of God. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy this episode and it will really help you as well. Okay, so let's get started. In this episode, I'm going to be breaking it down into three parts because you know now I'm a teacher. (laughs) This is what I do, all right? First of all, I'm going to be talking about the potency of the word of God. And what I mean by that is why should you prioritize studying the word and getting into the word of God? Why should you not play with the word? Why should you not treat it as something that every now and then when you have time, you do it. Or when you go to church on Sunday, you happen to be there and then you open your Bible, etc. No, you cannot treat the word of God with that kind of Um, laid back attitude. It has to be something that you prioritize in your life. So that's going to be the first thing I'll talk about. I want to show you why you must prioritize it. The second thing I'm going to be talking about is the purpose of the word of God. So what was God's intention when he gave us the Bible? Yeah. What did he hope to achieve through 
the Bible. The Bible says that the word of God was written by God as he gave men inspiration to write. So when he put those collection of books together and handed it to the church, what was his intention? And lastly, I'm going to talk about the practice of the word of God, which is what the title of today's episode is about. How do you get the most out of studying the Bible? How does it go from mere head knowledge to actually literally playing out in your life where you can see the word of God supernaturally creating outcomes in your life? This is very important. You must know how to do this as a Christian if you're going to live the victorious life that God planned for you. Okay, so let us get started. The potency of the word of God why you must prioritize it. So why is the Bible an important book? Ah, okay. Let me start with this. You know that the word of God is the seed of God. You know that, right? It is the seed. The Bible says it's an incorruptible seed. And I want you to use, to picture this. It is impossible for a woman to get pregnant without the seed of a man. Okay. Even though God created the woman and equipped her to be able to receive the seed into her womb and then cultivate it and she conceives, cultivated, the child grows in her womb and then is birthed into this world. No matter how sophisticated the womb or the woman is without a seed, it will never result in a baby. All right. Do you understand that? The same way, look around you. Anything that grows out of the earth has a seed to start with. The tree, I'm looking out of my window as I'm recording this, and literally the trees, the big, tall, beautiful trees that I can see beyond my window, they did not just appear out of nowhere. Somebody planted a seed into the earth, and as a result of that, they came up as trees, the seeds came up as trees and as something beautiful. So what do I mean? Why am I saying all of this, right? The literal process of creation cannot start without the seed, which is the word of God. So many of us as Christians are going about trying to bring the will of God and the purpose of God to pass in our lives because you see something and you desire, you say, God, I desire to be healed. God, I desire for you to to literally supply all my needs or whatever it is. I'm going through these challenges and I want your peace and I want your joy and I want your abundance, whatever it is. But the thing is we go about doing that, saying what we want and desiring things, but unless you receive seed, which is the word from God, that thing cannot be produced in your life. So this is how it works. And I want to use this example in Luke chapter one, literally the conception of Jesus as a human being. I'm going to read it to you and use that to explain and hopefully help you see that without the word of God, you cannot produce, quote unquote, the son of God. And what do I mean by the son of God? Something supernatural that God himself birthed. It is impossible. The process of conception starts with the seed. And if you want to conceive and birth the plans and the purposes of God for your life on this earth, It must start with the seed, which is the word of God. So I'm going to read from Luke 1, 31 to 35. And it says, this was when the angel showed up to Mary. And it says that, and behold, angel said to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now look at this, that which God gives you and conceives and births. This is the description of what he will do on this earth. It says he will be great. 
He will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. I want you to try and picture that. So what do I mean by that? God wants to implant his word inside your heart so that he will help you give birth to a job, for example, on this earth. Now look at how God describes the kind of job that he helps you birth or a role or a financial position or whatever. He says that job, when you show up to that job, you will do greatly. You will show up and you will dominate in the sense that divine ideas will flow through you and you take that company from one level to an astronomical level. Do you see what I mean? But a lot of times as Christians, we settle for natural results. We settle for natural results. Is it possible to get a job without God birthing his purpose in your life? Of course. Absolutely. We do it all the time as Christians. We don't even go to God. You want to switch jobs. You want to switch careers. You want to buy a house. We don't even start the process by going to God so that we can receive the seed of the word to birth the exact house that he had in mind for you, for his purpose to be established on the earth. So it's possible to go through life as a Christian, only creating natural results that nobody even notices. They're like, what's the big deal? Everybody is doing, even unbelievers are even doing better than you in that area. Just a natural results. But if you want to birth something supernatural, supernatural, notice, let me read that line to you again. The angel said to Mary that that which the Lord will produce through you will be great. It will be called the son of God, meaning it will carry the DNA of God. When you look at that marriage and you observe, you say, wow, God is all over this marriage. This is surely something that God birthed. There's a difference. You can see the difference in that marriage that was birthed through the word of God and one where people just basically went after, you know, they went for somebody they were attracted to and they just married the person without consulting God, without receiving seed from the word of God. Then he says that he will reign over the house of Jacob. The house of Jacob is talking about the flesh. So the natural world, it's saying that the rod of Moses that swallowed up all the Egyptian rods, when you submit to this process to receive the seed of God into the womb of your heart and to birth the son of God in that area, it will be like that. It will be far superior to anything anybody created with their brain. Can you see that? So it is definitely worth it. Now, how? Mary asked a superb question. Like, okay, I, I'm listening. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so I... <laughs> Uh, sir, how do we get this, you know, son of God into this world? I'm very interested. And Mary asked the angel this question. How can this be since I do not know a man? So I do not, I mean, the natural seed, I look at my colleagues and yes, they're getting all these results or whatever it is, but this kind of career that you are describing is far beyond anything that I can do in my own strength. That's what Mary was saying. Mary was saying that, God, you keep showing me that I'm going to be speaking to, you know, tens of thousands, millions of people, whatever it is. But if I, even if I calculated everything, even if I called everybody I know and I leveraged all the networks that I'm exposed to at the moment, there's no way what you're showing me is going to happen. So that's what Mary was saying. It's impossible for me in any of, I look in my environment, the resources that I have currently cannot produce this supernatural outcome that you are showing me. So she was like, okay, so how is it going to happen? Because it's obviously not going to happen by anything natural or by anything that I know or have access to at the moment. And of course the angel replied and said, the Holy spirit 
will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is one that impresses upon your heart the seed, which is the Word of God. In other words, you cannot create a Son of God, which is the will and the purpose of God for your life, that is far superior to anything you could have planned for yourself without the Word. Without the Word. So it is God's seed. The angel told Mary, don't worry. This is not going to be a natural seed. God himself will supply the seed when the Holy Spirit rests upon you. And that seed is the word of God. How do I know that the seed is the word of God? The Bible says in John 1 and verse 1, 3 to 5. It says, in the beginning was the word, talking about Jesus. The word was with God and the word was God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Listen to this. And that light does what? It shines in darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it. Another translation says the darkness cannot overcome it. Did you see, see the equivalent of what I just read here in Luke 1? So this light, when God births it through his own seed, the word of God, there is no opposition that can stand against it. It will completely dominate. So when he, for example, takes the scriptures, the word of God regarding health and healing and divine health, there is no sickness that can touch you and then can prosper or thrive in your life. Why? Because you have directly received the seed of the word and you have implanted it in your heart. It has grown to maturity and then you begin to dominate all sicknesses in your life and also in the lives of the people that you come in contact with. So in summary, the word created you and therefore you cannot function in your capacity as a son of God. You cannot produce supernatural outcomes in life without the word of God. And that is why you must prioritize the word of God. Going long periods of time and not having exposure to the word of God, meditating on the word of God, you're going to end up living a very natural average life, which is honestly catastrophic as a child of God. It's catastrophic, right? And also when the challenges and the storms of life come, and they will come because they come to everybody, you will have no weapon that is powerful enough to dislodge them and sometimes those storms end up swallowing people up and destroying their lives because they never cultivated the habit of taking the word of God as the Bible says, the sword to dislodge oppositions and obstacles and attacks that come against them. So that's the first one, which is the potency on the, of the word of God and why you must prioritize it. The second aspect that I want to talk about before I go to the very practical aspect of how to study the word, etc., is what is the purpose of God's word? Why did God give us the Bible? Okay. There are three reasons and those reasons are progressive. They are progressive. So they don't stand in isolation. Problem develops. <laughs> When people take any of these reasons in isolation and try to run with them, it is meant to be progressive. And there are three reasons that God gave us the Bible for or wrote the Bible for. The first one is the foundational, the most important one. The first in line is for you to know God. It's for you to know the true nature of God. It's for you to come in contact with his real identity. 
I want you to read through the Bible and think about all the Bible stories that you know. Whenever God showed up in anybody's life, the first thing he would do is to reveal himself to them. He never just showed up and said, okay, go and do this, go and do this. He was never, first of all, about the mission, right? It was never, first of all, about the mission. It was always, he would say, I am, I am that I am. He would reveal himself. That is the first and the foundational purpose of the word of God for you to know the true identity. Unfortunately, when we live our study of the word or our knowledge of God, what is taught us without checking for ourselves, like the Berean Christians will run into trouble because so many lies have been propagated over the years about God. People have said all kinds of things about God, that God is the one that kills babies, that God is the one that does this and does that. God has been accused in so many ways about things that are so not true. And you will find for yourself that it can't be true. It doesn't make sense if you just get into the Bible. So the Holy Spirit sits with you as you read the Bible to unveil Christ to you, to show you the real nature of Christ. So many lies are just floating around out there and they stick. These lies stick easier than the truth. So God wants to reveal himself and the primary way that he reveals himself to humanity is through the word. As you study the word of God, you begin to grow in the image. You begin to see Christ and the nature of God for who he really is. Personally for me, until I got into the Bible for myself, I had some ideas and notions about God that was simply not true. Until I began to study the word and asking the Holy Spirit to help me understand what I was reading, I began to see that, oh my goodness, God is such a father. As in, he's such a loving father. It, it blows my mind when I see that and I think about how merciful God is and how loving he is. Even some of the things that seem harsh, like, oh, how can God do that? When you read with understanding, with the Holy Spirit opening your eyes, you will see the underlying motive of everything God does is love. It was love that made God send Adam and Eve out of the garden. It was love. Literally, it was love that made him know, you know, for Jesus to be crucified. It was love that did that. The motive behind say, how can he you know, leave his own son to be crucified? Why would God let me go through this thing? You don't understand. The more you open up your Bible and study with under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you will see that nothing God ever does is done outside of love because it's his nature. So you can't really know God without opening your Bible. It's impossible to know God without opening your Bible. So that's the first purpose for which God created the Bible. Okay, and handed it to the church. The next layer, like I said, it's progressive. The next layer after that is for you to know yourself as one that is in Christ, meaning to know your true identity in Christ. You can't know your identity without first knowing who God is. Do you understand that? You can't say, oh, I'm a Christian. On what basis do you say you are a Christian? And because I'm a Christian, I can do this or I can do that or I'm that. No, it is based on who you know God will to be. That is where you draw your identity from. So if you are not getting into the Bible, if you don't have a clear image of who God is, then guess what? Your own image of yourself, of your own identity is going to be distorted. If you have a distorted image of God, your own identity is going to be distorted. Because one draws from the other. 
So when I begin to see God, as I study the Bible, that God is loving, that God, you know, in the form of Jesus, absolutely dominated every obstacle and challenge in the environment. As I begin to read that, I'm like, I see who God is. What happens after that progressively is I begin to see myself in Christ doing those things. I begin to see myself as there's no problem I cannot solve. Even when they came to Jesus and said, there are about 15,000 people that need food and there's only five, five loaves and two fish. Jesus didn't run away or try to say and avoid it and say, do you know what? Send them away. He solved the problem through multiplication. Now, when I read that, I'm like, ah, God is never, ever short of options. By seeing God that way, and I persist in studying and allowing the Holy Spirit open my eyes further, what begins to happen after that is I then begin to see myself in that same light. It is not enough for you to know God and say, oh, I, I know God is love. Or I know this is the nature of God and then stop there. It does not help you in any way. After all, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting love. Who did God love? God loved the whole world. So you can read that and say, ah, this God is loving. Oh, he's really good. He gave his only begotten son. Wow. Until you take that knowledge and bring it into your own personal space and say, ah, God died for me. Okay, Jesus Christ, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. You can't even enter into Christianity. You can't even become a son of God until you bring it into your own personal space. Do you understand what I mean? So we know to a degree about God, but that's not enough. That's not going to change anybody's life. It's not enough to know that God heals. Do you know that God has healed you personally? It's not enough to know that, okay, God is love. We quote it, God is love, God is love. You have to know personally that God loves you. So that is a second layer for you to begin to know your identity in Christ. And of course, the third layer after that is as you grow in your identity in Christ, you begin to manifest and show up in your world as Christ. What do I mean by that? You begin to use his wisdom. You begin to use his authority, his power to move things on earth and to birth the kingdom of God on the earth. And that was what happened literally with David. David had come to the place where he had interacted with God in the wilderness. He would sing Psalms. He would study the Torah. He knew the nature of God. And then the nature of God began to teach him about his own nature and identity. To the point that when he showed up to Goliath, he was like, <coughs> Excuse me, uncle, please. Do you know who I am? He showed up to Goliath as one that was representing God with confidence. Now that doesn't happen if you skip the first two processes. Okay. So those are the three layers of intent that God gave the Bible for us for. Okay. And then finally, I'm going to talk about the practice of the word of God which is the primary mission <laughs> that I have for this episode, how to engage with the Bible for maximum impact. And some of the things that I will say will surprise you. I guarantee it. <laughs> some of the things, some of you, you know, you may be listening to me and say, Oh, I'm doing very well. I read my Bible, you know, every day, one chapter a day, I'm doing well, you know, I'm good. Some of the things I'm going to say will really, really surprise you. Just stick with me. But, Bear in mind, my purpose for saying these things is not to make you feel one type of way. It is to help you maximize the impact that the word of God will have in your life and in the lives of your loved ones and in the world 
because it starts with you, then your home representing your loved ones, and then your society. So if you follow these patterns that I'm going to show you, you will literally explode in your expressions of God's power, of his wisdom, of his authority and supernatural results on the earth. So how do you read the word? How do you get into the Bible for maximum impact? There are three layers. Again, I'm doing it in terms of layers. It's not do one and forget the other. No, there are three layers that must be going on in your interaction or engagement with the word of God, which is the Bible. I'll read each one out and then I'll break it down in depth to be able to walk you through how to practice it. The first one is reading. So you read for knowledge. The second one is study. You study for understanding or maturity. And the third one is meditation. You meditate or you deep dive for transformation. I'll repeat that. You read for knowledge, you study for understanding, for maturity, and you meditate for transformation. Now, a lot of Christians, the bulk of what we do is that first part, which is read. You read, you read, say, okay, I have by, I read one chapter a day or some, a lot of us do even less than that. So, okay, every now and then I read the Bible or whatever it is. And we stop there. And that is why so many people say, hey, but you know, they, I read the Bible, it's a bit boring. I don't even, that's why you're, you're not seeing supernatural results. It's literally why. So what I want to do is help you understand that reading is just one part of it. It's just one layer. You're meant to actually graduate from reading into studying and from studying is quite a number of people actually go on to the studying, but until you meditate, that word cannot be birthed literally into your life. Let me use this analogy of a pregnant woman. So the seed comes and is planted. So the knowledge is there, right? But I mean, that in itself does not bring the baby. So the conception happens. There has to be a period of growth. So this conception, it is growth and then it is birth, delivery. Do you understand that? So the conception comes by exposure. So a woman is exposed to the sperm of a man and then it connects with the egg and the child is conceived. But you do know, we all know that conception does not always lead to literally a baby being born. So a baby can be conceived, but not be born. So the baby must be conceived, number one, then carried for the full term of a pregnancy, number two, and then birthed into this world. So even if a child is carried for nine months and goes through the full term of pregnancy, it does not yet even guarantee that there's going to be a living baby at the end of it. So it's three very distinct processes that are linked. That is what I'm trying to show you. So reading, studying, and meditation. So if you only ever read and occasionally study, You'll be saying, but I, they'll say, read the Bible and the Bible will transform my life, but I'm not seeing it. it. This is why. So I'm not, I'm going to take each one, each layer one by one and then break it down. And then I'll finish up this episode by literally sharing tips and strategies for you that will help you get the most out of studying the Bible or engaging with the Bible. So like I said, the first one is to read breath. So you read wide right? This is exposing yourself to volumes of knowledge. 
reading alone is just filling your mind with oh okay ah, so jesus you know sent for a donkey and then he sat on the donkey okay okay it's just knowing what happened it's just knowing what god said <laughs> Do you understand that? He's knowing that, okay, the Bible says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Literally, reading just helps you accumulate knowledge. Now, that is important because some people sort of dump on that and say, oh, you're just reading the Bible. No, 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 no. Because you cannot even study what you don't know. So reading, read as wide as you can. In fact, I always recommend in this age of technology, one of the best ways to expose yourself to wide volumes of the word of God is through listening. So audio Bibles, because in about 15 minutes, you can get through maybe five or six chapters of the audio Bible. That way you actually know what's in the book. And lots of Christians don't even know what's in the book. So they haven't even exposed themselves to volumes of knowledge from the Bible. So they don't even know what's in there. So if Satan comes and says, it says in, <laughs> I remember one incident that happened when we were at university. So if one of my friends at university, our pastor, the pastor of, of our fellowship originally, um, basically went to her. It was a joke okay so he went to her and you know he had this you know very deep serious expression on his face i think she was walking to her hall and they met on the road he was going in the opposite direction and he wanted to prank her and he with this serious very serious expression on her face said when you when you get home when you get to your room i want you to go and open your bible and go and read hezekiah 5 11 something like that so i knew it was hezekiah she said hezekiah something something and read it the lord has a word for you he has a word for you he just he joins that and he gave her she too she was like oh wow thank you jesus you've given me a word and she ran to her room carried her bible and was searching for hezekiah where's the book of hezekiah hezekiah 5 11 where's Hezekiah 5 11 and there's that ah, Hezekiah okay I know that you know there's Isaiah I know that there's Jeremiah but which one is Hezekiah again um so she was searching searching eventually she said okay maybe I don't even know where it is let me go to the table of contents <laughs> so she went to the table of contents and she was like ah, there's no Hezekiah here and she was like ah, Maybe he got it wrong. Obviously, you know, when she saw him the next day or something like that, he was laughing at her. I said, which one is Ezekiah? Don't you know what your Bible says? So what am I saying? You need to know at least what's inside the Bible. You need to know, you know, forget even about deep stuff. You shall need to know first of all. So if somebody comes and tells you that, for example, you know, Jesus was born in Lagos. I mean, somebody that does not, that has never picked up their Bible, that has no knowledge of the word of God, they will believe those things. They would literally believe that. They will lap it up because they have not been exposed to the word. People will quote things that God helps those who help themselves. And do you know the way that thing has been quoted so vigorously <laughs> and persistently over the years? You would think that's in the Bible. It's not in the Bible, though. It is not in the bible god helps those who help themselves do you understand that so you have to read for breath for volumes to even know what's in there and what are the kind of activities bible activities that fall on that reading so obviously things like reading plants listening to audio bible reading the raw bible and reading chapters etc do you know what else falls under this sermons sermons now, this is another one because of this age of technology, because if you go on YouTube, you can literally spend six, seven hours. You watch this one, then you watch that 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 one. The danger of that is 
people expose themselves to these volumes of knowledge and they think, oh, I'm being spiritual. Oh, I'm engaged in spiritual activity. But if you literally ask them at the end of the day, what was the sermon? Say, oh, it was so powerful. Ah, it was so powerful. What did they say? Which one are you taking away? Oh, it was so powerful. They don't really have one thing to say to move forward with from that sermon. So sermons still fall under the category of reading of being exposed to volumes of knowledge that is being stored in your head. If that someone, if there's not something that is quick into you, something that caught your attention, hmm, and then you carried it and then took it further, it is literally just exposure to volumes of knowledge that just stays in your head. It doesn't go on to transform your life. Okay. So things are memorizing as well. When people only read, they often take the Bible out of context. So that's why you must then graduate into death, which is studying. As I explained before, Satan can come and literally lie and say something is in the Bible that is not there. Or they just read, read, read. They don't take it further to study things in context. So that they could read a verse and say, oh, this is what the Bible says. But they didn't read it in context. They didn't go to all the different gospels and saw how everything linked together before making a judgment about that situation. So reading alone, which is where unfortunately most Christians are, most of us Christians, that's where we park and we pitch our tent. And that's why there's so much error. So much error floating around, especially in the digital space. So you can't read alone. You need the reading. It's the foundation, but you cannot stop there. The foundation is not the building. The foundation is important, but it's certainly not the building. So the next one is death. Death. Remember, reading is for breath. You read wide for volumes of knowledge. The second layer is for death, which is study, which is study. You study for maturity. You study for maturity. If you're going to grow as a Christian, if you're going to grow in maturity, you must study the Bible like you are studying for an exam. Not casually like, okay, I just read one chapter today and tomorrow you move on to another chapter. And as you just finish reading it, you're like, okay, now I know what the Bible says. Oh, I read that story about Peter and how he cast out the net and everything and he caused most of fish and you move on to the next one and you haven't actually studied it. So studying is for maturity, for you to be skillful, to use the word of God with skill. The word of God, when it produces results, can only be handled with skill. With, if you don't know how to use the word of God with skill, you will not produce supernatural results. And studying prevents you from being subject to error. So the word of God, when you study it, it opens your eyes to contexts, to themes, to topics, and you understand it in depth. Reading is for volumes of knowledge. Studying is for understanding. It's for understanding. Just because you read something does not, be, does not necessarily mean that you understand the theme around that thing. So it is for maturity. Strong meat, the, the Bible talks about, belong to those who have exercised, who have skillfully exercised the word of God through study. But milk <laughs> belongs to those who basically just never ever chew on the word of God. Okay? So what do I mean by study? It means that you look at patterns. You look at themes. You study on healing. You look at the ministry of Jesus and you say, okay, I'm going to study. I'm going to actually read through everything that all the healings and miracles that he did, because I want to study that you study about finances. 
You don't just take one scripture, oh my God shall supply all my needs according to riches and glory, Philippians 4, 19, and that's it. You don't even read the context in which Paul wrote that statement. Do you understand that? You don't go and study, why did he say that? Why would God supply all my needs? Where is that supply coming from? That study, organized thought around a particular theme or topic. And that's why you see people that are experts in certain topics. So maybe healing or finances or gifts of the spirit. That's because they have studied it. They have dedicated time and thought processes to it, allowing the Holy Spirit to take them deeper into it. Now, studying is not enough. So you don't say that these are layers. You graduate from reading to studying and if people stop at the studying level, remember studying makes you an expert, quote unquote, on the context. So you understand healing. You can teach anybody on healing. Yes. However, when people only study and don't apply to their lives through that transformation and meditation, they become experts without the fruits, experts without the what? The fruits. That's why you will see some people that not only can quote as many scriptures that are wow, you know a lot of scriptures though. Not only can they quote it, they will arrange the thought and say, let Jesus, you know, he healed, etc. etc. And if they have a headache, they don't even know how to organize that understanding in order to bring it into their own lives for that headache to be healed. Or they see somebody that that is sick. They even though they've studied healing, they don't know how to literally walk up to the authority and command that sickness to leave. So there are no fruits. And if that persists, people become what arrogant. Oh, I already know that. Oh, I understand this thing, but there's no fruits. A literal child that only knows one scripture can literally produce more results than these kind of people. So you cannot stop with studying. Studying should then lead you to meditation, which literally brings transformation into your life. So the third one, the third layer is meditation you go in with pinpoint accuracy and like laser right deep dive laser laser focus you zoom in in order to practically apply what you have understood of the word of god just because you understand something is not enough studying brings you to the place of understanding but understanding then should lead you to the point where you bring it into your space to apply it and see generate results in your own life. You take it into meditation for personal transformation, right? What you have studied is applied directly to the situation that in your life that in order to change it. You understand what I mean by that? So somebody can study everything about, let's say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, looks at how Samson, um, everybody looked at him. There was nothing that made, basically suggested that he should be able to kill like a thousand people at the time, but the anointing of God would come upon him and he would literally destroy God's enemies, except you study all of that. You see that God's power works through human beings to produce exploits. But then you get to work the next day and your boss comes and says, there's this project that I want you to lead. And you know that that project has lots of problems. And you may say, no, I can't do it. Oh, no, 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 no. Listen, you've studied, you've understood that God resting upon a human being causes supernatural results. But when you had the opportunity to exercise that thing and transform yourself to the next level, you backed out. Yeah. That is why a lot of us are not seeing tangible supernatural results in our lives. 
So meditation helps you to apply, to take that understanding, apply to your own situation and literally see the Holy Spirit birth supernatural results in your life. You are transformed, literally. It leads you to take action that eventually leads to visible manifestation. So I'm going to go on and talk about some tips, but before then, I want to give you a practical example of these three layers of reading, studying, and meditation. Okay. Let me take swimming as an example. So the knowledge part, the reading part is maybe a five-year-old child literally was taken to the swimming pool for the first time. So before now, this child had had no knowledge of any kind of swimming, had never been to a swimming pool, had never been to the beach and had never seen people swimming. So you suddenly take, take this five-year-old child to a swimming pool or the beach and he sees like, whoa, you mean people can actually float on water? You mean they can actually swim like fish? That's knowledge. That's reading, right? Knowing that, oh, okay. So you mean this is actually possible? This is possible, right? Literally, that's it. The child sees for the first time, the same way somebody sees for the first time in the Bible, let's say Isaiah 53, by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. So, oh, so it's actually possible, you know, for Jesus to heal me even today. That is just knowledge. That's exposure. Reading for breath, for exposure. So the child says, oh, it's possible. Can the child swim? No. Child doesn't even know how to swim. <laughs> Do you understand? He just knows that, okay, it's possible to swim. The next layer after that is, so this child looks and says, oh, out of curiosity, how is it possible that somebody can just get in the water and be swimming like that? What is the physics? What's the mechanics behind that principle? And this child goes online and begins to research and begins to read about Archimedes principle and all those things and studies and say, oh, I see. This is why that happens. And the body displaces this amount of water. And the child has understanding of why a human being can get into the water and not sink to the bottom and is able to swim. So that's the next layer. The child is excited. Oh, I know exactly why it is possible for me. If I get into the water, I know why I'll be able to swim. I know exactly if I do my hand like this and I do my legs like that, I will be able to swim. That's understanding. That is study. That is taking the knowledge that you are exposed to and digging deeper into it. The person that sees that, oh, you mean it's possible, healing is possible in the New Testament. And then they start to gather healing scriptures and they begin to study. They study the gospels and see the life of Jesus, how he healed a lot of people, etc. That's still study. That child, no matter how many hours he dedicates to studying about swimming and coming to an understanding of it, he still cannot swim. He has deposited some credit towards being able to swim. So that understanding that he has gained will help him when he eventually gets into the water to be able to swim, but it does not equate to him being able to swim. You understand that? Then the final layer, which is the one that we must do, which is usually the missing one. The child's parent or you know, mom now enrolls him for swimming lessons and then he gets into the water. And the thing, the understanding he has gained about how everything works helps him. Plus the understanding that he's gaining from his instructor that says paddle like this and whatever it is through practice, through exercising the knowledge and the understanding that he has accumulated in real time, in a real life situation, then he becomes a swimmer. Do you understand what I mean? 
So that's the three layers. So you have to ask yourself if 80 to 90% of your interaction or engagement with the word of God is the reading level, then you wonder why the Bible says that, you know, peace and joy belong to you, but you are always confused in turmoil. Your mind is always racing with anxiety and worries. It's because you haven't followed through with the layers to the point where the word literally produces that peace and joy in your heart and in your emotions. Okay. I'm going to now share with you some tips that will help you get into the whole reading, studying, and meditation. You need all three. You need exposure to all three. So the first one is if you're short on time, which a lot of people that are listening to me will prob- and watching me will probably say, oh, I'm short on time. Use themes and keep the scheduled text short. What do I mean by that? So if you say that, okay, I'm only able to read the Bible for 15 minutes a day or expose myself to the Bible for 15 minutes a day. What you can do to merge reading and studying together is to read in themes. Remember that study is organized knowledge. So don't just read randomly. Don't just say, okay, for example, I'm going to, I'm going to read Jeremiah one. And then you read Jeremiah two. Yes, you're reading through the book of Jeremiah, but what's the theme? There should be a theme, right? Especially if they're short on time. So you could say that in the next six months, I'm going to study, I keep saying healing. Somebody listening to me or watching me must really need to hear that. So I'm going to study on healing. So you gather scriptures, right? You're reading to understand certain things about healing. So you could say, I'm going to read through the gospels and pay particular attention every time I see that Jesus healed somebody. That way, you're not just reading for breath, for with, for, oh, that's what happened. You're also paying close attention to what is happening in the context of that theme. So that's number one. Another tip that I'll suggest to you is if possible, do character studies. So for example, you say, I'm going to go and study about the life of Ruth or the life of Jesus or Peter or David, because let me tell you why human beings, the way the brain is organized is we learn best through stories. And that's why the Bible says that Jesus never taught anything unless through stories. Jesus used stories every time he opened his mouth to teach stories, analogies, metaphors, because he understood that that is the easiest way for the brain to accept new knowledge. So this is something you can do to accelerate. So study, if I say that I'm going to study the book of Ruth, it's entertaining. I'm following along. It's coherent. So it's like, oh, so this is what happened. And this is what happened, et cetera, et cetera. You're also understanding and you're studying it also with a theme. So that's the second thing. The Bible is grouped by character study. Even the letters are grouped by the character that wrote them. For example, the letters of Paul, the letters of Peter. So it's grouped based on individuals. So if the Bible is written in that context, then you should probably read it in that context as well. So character study is a good way to go. And the third tip that I'll give you is plan and prepare in advance. Don't just say, okay, I'll read my Bible. What is the plan that you're following? Have a reading plan and a study plan. So as I said, and I gave the example, you could say in the month that is coming up, I'm going to study on the character, let's say Abraham. And in particular, I want to look at faith. Because Abraham is known for his faith. 
in one of my Bible gist, which is my live Instagram sessions that I do, I looked at Abraham and Sarah as characters, but I studied the theme of marriage. So you could do that. So in the character study, you're looking for a theme as well. So plan in advance. I say throughout the following 30 days, I'm going to look at Abraham and Sarah and look at maybe faith or look at marriage. That way, when you wake up in the morning and you want to read your Bible, there's focus. You don't have to sit and say, hey, what should I read today? Okay, should I read Psalm? You've already spent five minutes trying to figure out what you should read. So plan and prepare in advance. And the fourth tip that I'm going to give you is journal. Journal. Write stuff down. Research has shown that whatever you write down, you understand better instantly. Because it takes thought. It forces you to think about what you're writing when you write stuff down. Three reasons why I recommend journaling. Number one, as I said, it increases brain focus and engagement. And as a result of that, brings more clarity and understanding. So force yourself to say, okay, I've just read this chapter. What are the insights that I'm taking away from it? Because that's what you journal. Journaling makes you think of, okay, what am I going to write down? What did I learn from this? So it makes it more engaging. You put more effort into thinking it through instead of just read and move on. Number two, and this one is so important. This one has saved me so many times. My question is, how do you pass an exam without notes? <laughs> I remember because I studied engineering at university. There were some boys. They would not, in fact, they, in, in fact, they will attend lectures. So the same way somebody will open their Bible and be reading, but never write notes. Never write notes around exam time. They'll now be running after all the girls because they know the girls will take detailed notes. They will not write notes. They'll now be asking for your notes to photocopy. Please, can I go and photocopy your note? And sometimes I've seen one or two where they didn't get any notes on time to photocopy. And of course they bombed the exam. How are you going to pass an exam without notes? The whole purpose of journaling is when you, because the things you're learning, the Holy Spirit is showing you does not necessarily mean you need it for that moment. You understand that you will not necessarily need it for that day. But when you journal it, the Holy Spirit will direct you back and say, go and read, go and read that particular. This has happened to me so many times and it still happens. As I write things down, I keep it somewhere in the back of my mind. I know that hmm, God has taught me something about this. And then almost always something will happen in my life that make me think, Oh, that's what the Holy Spirit was saying. Then I'll go back, read it and carry the lesson that he taught me there and then act based on what he taught me. But if I didn't write it down, it's gone. It's gone. Okay. So take notes so you can go back to them when you have decisions to make, etc. And the third reason is notes, refresh your faith, regarding what you're trusting God for. What do I mean by that? So you have a certain target. You say, okay, God, this is what I believe you for. And as you're studying the word every single day, meditating on the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will show you certain things. And as you begin to read that, when you are discouraged and go back and read it, you will always be encouraged because the Holy Spirit would have shown you, you know, different scriptures, giving you more light regarding that situation that just encourages you that, oh, God is on this matter. He's on this matter. He's working with me on, but he never wrote any of those things down. You just think that God has never spoken to you about it, which is not true. It's simply because he didn't write it down. So that's the fourth tip, which is journaling. Three reasons why you should journal. And then finally, I want you to do a quick walkthrough of my own signature. So I came up, I 
quote unquote, invented <laughs> this method of Bible study or engagement with the Bible. And I call it the wisdom compass. We introduced in the Super Abundant Woman, which is my mentoring community. And um, I'm going to just give you an overview of what that looks like. So there are five ways, if you say you want to study the Bible and get the most out of studying the Bible, the wisdom compass method has five key points that you use. Number one, pick a theme, for example, fasting or healing or finances or a character. So in the wisdom compass, we always do character based study, right? So if, for example, if a member of Saul or when you join Saul, we have the wisdom compass folder that has Bible study based on characters. So Peter, David, Ruth, and we would have literally devotionals and outlines that will help you study in depth about that character and extract insights from them. So start with the character, as I said. So that's number one. Pick a character, let the Holy Spirit direct you because a certain character could really speak to that season of your life. That's number one. Number two, once you have looked at that character, you identify and you put together the scriptures within that theme or that talks about that character. What do I mean by that? So for example, if I'm studying about David, I'm not going to read the whole of first Samuel, second Samuel, first Kings, second Kings to, to read about David. It will take me a long time and it will even throw me off course because not all of that is about David. So basically what I do is I will collate scriptures that focus primarily on David. So I would probably start from first Samuel 15, I believe it is that introduces us to David where he was anointed, etc., etc. So you only focus on the scriptures, gather the scriptures, a quick internet search will help you with that. Gather the scriptures that will, that basically focus on David. And then that's what you're going to read. And like I said, in Saul, we do that for our members. So it's there. You don't have to do all that work. You literally go in and all the scriptures have been put together and arranged for you into day. So day one, read this day to read that, which brings me to my next step, which is then to read the scheduled text. So you have the text you've arranged, you've divided it and said, okay, in the next 30 days, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read that actually read it. Then you read it. So in the process of reading it, and I should also say this, try and keep the text as short as possible. So don't say I'm going to read three chapters in a day. If that is all you are doing, remember that is just the reading phase. You're not going to have enough time or presence of mind to go into studying. If you are reading three chapters a day. If that's what you're doing, for example, through audio Bible, just to make sure you're continually exposed to volumes of knowledge and it is cleansing your mind, that's fine. But we're talking about literally getting to the point where the word of God transforms your life. So don't make it too long. In fact, some of our scheduled texts in Wisdom Compass and so sometimes it's only 10 verses. We say, read these 10 verses and it gives you the time to read it. So in 10 verses will take you like three minutes. So you, you can read it over and over again and really sit on it and extract life from it. So keep it short. Step four, once you have read it, like I said, journal. So look at it and draw insights from it. When I say insights, I mean lessons. So the way David looked at this man and did this, oh, hey, oh what do I, what does that mean to me? You'll be amazed. Oh, you'll be amazed. I've seen this thing 
literally revolutionized Bible study for our superabundant women. It is so powerful. So take the scheduled text, read it, and then sit and say, Holy Spirit, open my eyes. And he will show you stuff. Say, nah, there's a reason why he responded that way. He said, ah, I see. So journal. You write down, we say, take three insights. And if you're only reading 10 verses, trust me, you have to really think about it to come up with three <laughs> insights. But you'll be amazed because the Holy Spirit will help you see lessons. So draw lessons, life from that, and then journal it down. That is step four. And then step five of the wisdom compass is, remember, that is still just study. That is me understanding that, oh, okay, it's not good to behave this way. Oh, okay. No, that's still study. That's still understanding certain themes and the ways of God. How do I now translate that to the point where it affects my own life? This is what we say. As you read and you journal, there is something in particular that would have caught your attention. Maybe it's a question. Maybe it's like, why does this person behave like this? Yes, I understand it, but there's, there's something will prick your heart. Something will catch your attention. That is the one that you now take further for my meditation. So you have journaled your three insights. Take that as you're doing that, something jumps at you. It could be a word. It could be a phrase. It could be a verse. It could be the way somebody said something. The Holy Spirit is the one that is trying to show you that this thing is needful for a situation in your life right now. I want you to take it further and extract life from it. And that's what you do. Whatever that thing is, that is the one you take with you for the rest of the day. You could write it down on a piece of card or put it on your phone and you think about it and say, Holy Spirit, give me more light. Help me to see. And you meditate on it. You think it over. As you do that, the Holy Spirit will begin to show you specifics regarding your own life. Regarding your own life. And many times when I've been pricked by something and I've taken and said, okay, so Jesus looked at this and he sat down, um, let's say woman that was caught in adultery and he bent down and he wrote practical example. When I read that text, that one jumped at me in particular that why did you, why was he writing Seth? Why do you bend down to write anything? Because they asked him, they said, should we stone this woman? And the Bible says that he stooped down and started writing in the sand. Say why? But that jumped at me. So I had written down other insights from that text, but that one would not leave me as I read it. So I took that one. I said, Holy Spirit, why? And I kept asking and I kept meditating on it. I saw Jesus stoop down. And do you know what? In that, over the next one or two days, literally i found myself in a situation where the holy spirit taught me that what i was trying to teach you regarding jesus to be now is to pause don't rush and make a rash decision say ah how are you no he said pause he flashed it to me in that situation and he said no bend down do something therapeutic and just pause just pause no matter how much they are pushing you to make a decision now Pause, slow everything down. And that was the light that I drew from that, that affected my own life personally and helped me avoid a catastrophe. That is how the word of God changes your life and brings supernatural results into your world. Okay. So I hope that has helped you. All of the resources that I've mentioned, my signature wisdom compass, Bible engagement method is sitting behind <laughs> a super burnout woman community membership. The moment you sign up, we have access to everything. If you want to take your Bible study, your Bible meditation, etc., we have loads of teachings 
on meditation as well to help you really, really transform your life through the word of God. It's there. And there's a link in, in the show notes that will tell you how to access that. But to be honest with you, I've shared enough, which is the whole point of this podcast. I've shared enough with you to literally run with it and begin to see results based on what I have taught. So I'm going to leave it at that. I hope that's helped you. I'm sure it has. And I will be back with another episode. This is Olaume Brigway and thanks. See you later. Bye.